Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community this morning. And if you're watching us online, that means you've got power at the house. So hopefully you've survived snowpocalypse or, or whatever your nickname has been for it over the past few days in Mississippi. So uh, I, I hope you've been able to check on uh, friends and family and loved ones and uh, everyone is safe and warm and has been able to uh, really maybe even enjoy the weather that we've had this past week. When I was in the ninth or 10th grade, I was asked to say a prayer before one of the junior high football games at my school. It was a, a setting where you could do that before a, a football game there. And I remember going and it kind of being an awkward situation because you're in the press box and there's this microphone, you speak into it and the, the sound just kind of echoes all over the field. You can't really hear yourself or whatnot. And so it was just an odd experience. I do remember that. But I, and I also don't remember how I started my prayer. But I remember how it ended. Uh, the ending I had heard or read somewhere, and I thought that it sounded spiritual, that it sounded profound. And since I was going to be praying in front of a bunch of people, I thought, well, I need to sound spiritual or profound as well. So I just straight up lifted it and, and, and put it at the end of my prayer. And so as I started to wrap up, uh, over a loudspeaker, over both teams of 7th and 8th graders, I prayed, God, grant us to, the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's right, as a ninth or 10th grader, I ended my prayer at a junior high football game reciting the serenity prayer that is often said at the end of AA meetings. Now, let, let me say this. It's a fine prayer. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fine prayer. I can say it would be very helpful for those battling addiction and for those fighting every day for their sobriety. So I'm not making light of the prayer at all. I am, however, making light of the fact that as a ninth grader, I had no clue what I was saying, where I, where I got, where I, where that came from. I just thought it sounded spiritual and I wanted to sound spiritual. So I said it and blasted it across a football field. I also find it moderately humorous to think what, the, what was the administration thinking when they heard one of their students quoting, uh, you know, the, the AA prayer uh, over the loudspeaker at their high school. So it wasn't until like three or four years later that I realized what I'd done and uh, that I'd quoted such a noteworthy and well-known prayer. But looking back on that, I think just kind of the pressure that I'd put on myself to, you know, sound spiritual or to sound profound when I was praying in front of, of other people and, and in that public setting. And, and so maybe I'd give myself a little bit of grace in, in, in that, that I'd put so much pressure on myself. And I, but I don't think I'm alone in that. Uh, I, I think we can put all sorts of pressure on ourselves when it comes to praying. You know, there, there's questions, am I doing this right? Am I saying the right things? How can I know God is listening? Is it arrogant and presumptuous to think that God would actually hear me when I pray? What really happens when we pray? And so at one time, this thing of prayer that can seem so trivial and small, we just say, hey, thoughts and prayers for you, man. It can seem so trivial and small, but at the same time, when you realize you're talking with the almighty, sovereign, eternal God of the universe, Suddenly, it's not trivial and small, and it really never was to begin with. And so for this to be such a fundamental aspect of our faith, it's crazy to me. It's just a practice that everyone assumes everyone knows how to do. And yet, at the same time, so many of us would say that we don't feel like our practice of prayer is as strong as it could be or maybe should be. When you look at the life of Jesus that we, we read in, in the Gospels, Jesus, God in the flesh, he routinely set aside time for him to pray and speak with his heavenly father. And you would think maybe he's the least person who needs to do that. But yet we see him giving us, the give us, giving us this example time and time again. In the four gospels, we have 19 references to Jesus praying or having times of prayer. 
Some of these, it's just one or two verses where it says Jesus withdrew to a solitary place to pray. Others, we have the actual recorded words of Jesus as he prayed to his father. And so beginning today and over the next six, seven weeks, we're going to look at the prayers of Jesus. We're going to begin this series where we're series where we're working through some of these prayers to help us both learn and strengthen our practice of prayer. Like we're going to spend some time a couple weeks looking at John 17, 26 verses where Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples, and for the church. We'll look, at, we'll look at some of his prayers that he voices while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested, right before his crucifixion. We'll even look at some of the prayers that he says while he's on the cross. And through all of these, we're going to see how God allows and even encourages his people to come to him with any and all of their concerns. But today, we'll start with perhaps maybe the most famous prayer that Jesus uh, that we have from Jesus. And really, it's, it's a prayer that in some ways really is, isn't even a prayer, but rather a blueprint or an example for prayer. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, for what is known as the Lord's Prayer. What's crazy to me about this passage is that it is shockingly short and yet powerfully simple. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 13. As you make your way there, uh, let me uh, give the context for what, we're about to, for what we're about to drop into. This is right really in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus, one of Jesus' most famous sermons that he gives towards relatively the beginning of his earthly ministry. And so with that, he is really pouring into his disciples. He is trying to coach them up. Uh, the crowds have gathered, so others are listening, but Jesus is really being intentional with this time of instructing the disciples. And, and so he's, he's teaching them about the life of faith that they are watching Jesus live out and that they know that they are called to follow and, and model as well. And so in, in chapter 5 uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of addresses some doctrinal issues. But then in Matthew 6, he turns just to some practices of our faith. He, he gives some guidance on benevolence, on giving or doing for those less fortunate, and then instruction on prayer and fasting. And so we'll pick it up, verse 5, as Jesus begins to teach on praying. Verses 5 and 6, he, writes, or he says this, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So as Jesus begins to instruct how to pray, he starts with a negative example. And there are plenty of negative examples that he could point to because there were these religious leaders of the day that tried to impress people while they were praying. They wanted to pray where they could be heard, where people could watch and see how devoted or how spiritual or how profound they were, kind of like a 10th grader to junior high football game, right? Like that's what prayer was about themselves rather than communing and talking with the Lord. And so Jesus here, he says, don't be that guy, right? Don't, don't be that guy. If that's your aim in prayer, you're wrong and you're off target. But know this, it's not that all prayers in public are bad or sinful because Jesus prays in public. He prays where other people can hear him and even says that's his reason for praying in, in that moment. But it's, it's not, he's not praying so that he could show off his righteousness 
or show off his holiness. He doesn't use public prayer to, to make much about himself, but rather there are times of public prayer where Jesus is, is deepening his connection to his Father and also helping others do the same. So even his public prayers are done for love and service of others and helping them uh, connect to his heavenly Father. Yet here, Jesus is attacking this practice of, of praying in public with this sinful mindset because there is there's just such a temptation to try to sound spiritual to try to play the part and try to win the approval of others and here at the very beginning as he's introducing this he's saying that's it's just not what prayer is about that's not what prayer is about it's spending time with the lord that's why the instruction comes in verse six go into your closet find a quiet place where you can pray and focus on the lord without distraction then you can know that the true audience, right, the almighty, sovereign God of the universe, you can know that he is watching and that he is listening. And it turns out you don't even have to do anything to make him listen. Look at what Jesus says in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for what they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Again, I think we can put, our pre put this pressure on ourselves that the prayer has to be long and has to be wordy to show that we're really sincere, to show that we really mean this, to, to somehow merit that the Lord will listen to us. It makes me think of uh, the prayer scene in Meet the Parents with uh, Ben Stiller, right? When he's praying and it's, you know, uh, dear God, we thank you for the smorgasbord of, of, of food in front of us. Thank you for being an accounting God day by day, draw nearly, follow you more dearly. Near, what I can just, I'm not even going to quote, I've started to quote the scene and I failed. But, you know, it's that scene where he just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. He's just babbling and it just goes, uh, goes longer than it should. But yet we can find ourselves doing the same thing. We put our, this pressure on ourselves to just have all these words in our prayer because we think it's going to show that we are more sincere. Or if not that, sometimes we might be tempted to say the same prayer, even the Lord's Prayer, to say it over and over and over again, thinking that maybe God will hear at least one of them. Okay, both, both attempts, it, it's an effort to force God's hand. Like you believe that you can manipulate or coerce God into listening. And Jesus says, look, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. If you pray humbly and honestly before the Lord, he's going to listen. He's going to listen. Why? Because he's an attentive heavenly father who knows what you need before you ask him and 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 that can bring up the question like why do we even need to pray if, if he already knows the the needs before we ask him what, what i've found to be true is that when we pray we actually discover more of what we need but more of what we actually need because we're drawing closer to our heavenly father we think we know what we need what we need but when we go and we pray to him it's there in those times of communing with the lord where we actually discover what it is that we actually need in our lives and so as he introduces this topic of prayer he speaks to the negative examples but then he pivots and he's going to give the positive example he's going to give the blueprint or the model for how to pray verse 9 we'll, we'll read 9 through 13 this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one short shockingly short but yet powerfully simple prayer that jesus has given to us and it begins with this our father in heaven hallowed be your name Th this opening would already be a bit of a shock to the disciples in that jesus 
teaches and shows them you can approach God as your father. The, the term that he uses here is an intimate term for God that was virtually unused in first century Judaism when, when referencing the Lord. Jesus said, you can reference the Lord as father. And so with this, Jesus is teaching his disciples, teaching you and, you and me, that God is as accessible and approachable as a loving parent. Like, to me, that's a sermon in and of itself, that we can approach the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing God as Father. It shows the depth of love and concern that he has for us, that he would allow such a thing, uh, that, that we can go and, and approach him as our Heavenly Father. But another angle on this that has helped me with my prayer life is, as me being a dad and thinking about my relationship with my three boys, like, I, I, I want my boys to talk to me. And, and I want them to do that all the like. I think about how much I want them to talk to me. Now, the caveat here is I, I want them to do this. I want them to bring their cares and concerns and, and thoughts. Just talk to me. I want them to do that when I am you know, not stressed and when I'm emotionally healthy. Because there are plenty of times where I'm like, if I hear another word, right? There are plenty of times where like, if they ask me for that one more time, I'm going to snap. But those are when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, when I'm emotionally not healthy. And, but here's the deal. You know, God, he never gets stressed. He never gets un emotionally unhealthy. He's always in that strong, right state of mind. And I've noticed that when I'm in that setting, then yes, I want my boys to, to bring it all to me. Um, they can come and bring their request to me. They can tell me if they're happy, sad, frustrated, or angry. I want it all because I want to be able to help, to help them navigate through those things. Because when they bring those, th those, those things to me, it's a conversation then that can lead to their growth, that can lead to their development. Right? Like, I, I love it when, when Connor says, I want the Nerf gun for, out of Mandalorian. Because that lets me know, he's, you know he's, he likes Mandalorian, he likes Star Wars, so I can talk to him about that. And we can connect over those storylines and plot, plot lines. And that he loves it when we have a Nerf gun battle at the house, right? And so that's a way that I, I'm connected to my son. I can see what he values and what brings him joy. And, and I want to have those conversations with him, right? But those conversations are also going to give times of, of correction, too. Like when they come, they're like, hey, can we have the entire bag of Mike and Ike's? No, you can't eat the entire bag of Mike and Ike's. And it's not because I don't love you or I'm holding out on you. It's because I don't want you to have a sugar addiction and have diabetes by the time you're 10, right? And so it's, it gives an, a, a point of, of correction. Or when they come and they, and they tell me that they're sad or they're frustrated or they're angry. And it gives me, a, okay, tell me what happened. You know, is there something we can learn from there? Is there something that we can fix? Or is this a moment where you just want me to be sad with you, right? Those conversations deepen our connection. And so when I look at prayer from that angle and how I want my sons to bring that to me, and then I think oh, this is how our Heavenly Father looks at us, then suddenly, like, all bets are off on what I want to bring to the Lord, right? As, as He is the good Heavenly Father, I can bring it all to Him. Yet I need to be mindful that I always yield myself and trust in the corrective ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when maybe I'm praying for something that has a selfish motive or a sinful motive in it, that the Holy Spirit would help root that out and that I would see it and confess it and turn from it. And so it's, again, like we're saying, He knows what we need. And so as we pray to Him, then it's an occasion for the Holy Spirit to do its corrective and refining work in our lives. Viewing Him as our good Heavenly Father, I, I do. I believe it opens the floodgates on what, what we feel like we can take to Him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. If you'll notice, though, the approachability of God, it's matched immediately with His holiness. That's the hallowed be Your name part of this. That's what it's, it's emphasizing there. It's blessed be Your name. It's holy be Your name. Although you are our Father in heaven, you are a divine God, unmatched 
in glory. So we are right to be confident that we can approach God. We're also wise to be mindful that we are speaking to one who is unrivaled in splendor and who is unrivaled in majesty. And so what you can see then is is prayer at one time deepens our connection with the Lord and also strengthens the reverence that we have for his holiness. It, It deepens our connection, how we can approach a holy and righteous God, yet it also fosters this reverence for his holy name. And when we're aware of his holiness, when we're aware of the goodness of God, then we want his will, we want his way to happen in our daily lives. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's an acknowledgement here that the kingdom of God is both here and now and yet to come. There's an acknowledgement that, that we know in his kingdom there's perfection, holiness, righteousness, and yet in this world there's brokenness, heartache, and sin, and suffering. And so we long for the day. We long for the day when, when his kingdom will come and be expressed in all of its fullness. So there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more heartache. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what prayer does here is it also keeps us mindful of both our eternal home and the glory thereof. And also this temporal and broken world and the role that we have within it to join him in the redeeming work that he is doing in this fallen and busted up world. And so prayer helps us stay mindful of our eternal home, yet also focused uh, on the temporal role that we play in this broken world, partnering with him in the work that he is doing. And so in the first part of this prayer, Jesus draws our attention to our heavenly father and the hope that we have with the kingdom of God. And then from here, Jesus says, yes, pray for yourselves. Pray for yourselves and your daily needs. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. It's it's a request that acknowledges our dependence upon the goodness and provision of the Lord. It's trusting him with our needs. And so it's it's not wrong to voice these prayers and, and, and and, and put these requests to the Lord. You can absolutely pray for the job. You can absolutely pray for finances, for material needs to be met. It's right. We can give these and bring these to the Lord. I do think there's a difference between praying for our daily bread and asking God for the Powerball numbers, right? Like, I don't think those are the same thing. I don't think those are the same thing. But here's the deal. Before I would call that a a sin, you know, asking God for the Powerball numbers, before I would, would call that a sinful prayer that you can't pray it, I would go back to, he's our father. He's our father. My boys can come to me for anything. It, it, it doesn't mean that they will get it, but it means I have an opportunity to coach, to correct, and train them in the ways of wisdom. And train them in, in the ways of, of wisdom. And so if we're going to God for the Powerball numbers, we need to be open and mindful to, hey, the Holy Spirit might say, hey, do you really need to be praying for that? Like, is that where you really need to put your hope and, and trust in that you're going to hit on this? Is that a wise use of your money? And so when we, even when we take these prayers that might be off or wrong, when we put these before him and stay open to the corrective ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's an opportunity for him to do that redemptive work in our life. Remember, again, he knows our needs before we ask him. And when we develop this discipline of prayer, it's often in praying where we discover what our true needs really are hand-in-hand with our need for daily bread is our daily need for his grace in our lives and for that grace to be expressed through our lives. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
So there's a confession of sin here and trusting in the grace of God to forgive you of your sin. All while showing that the grace you've been given has transformed your life to where you'll, you'll give grace and forgiveness to those who've wronged you. And that's incredibly hard. That's incredibly difficult for us to do. And yet here what we see in this prayer is that prayer anchors us to the grace that we've been given and how we stand forgiven in, in his sight. And that would help us then turn and give forgiveness, grace, and mercy to those who've wronged us. And then lastly, Jesus says, pray for protection for yourselves. Verse 13, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So when we pray, we anchor ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the temptation and to be delivered from those things in this world that would lead us away from the Lord. We are mindful, we are mindful that we need the provision of the Holy Spirit to help us flee from sin, avoid temptation, and hold us close to his will and to his way. Prayer helps us be grateful and depend upon his love and provision in our life on a daily basis. And so when you go back through and you, and, and you look at this prayer from the beginning to end, when you look at this prayer that Jesus gives to us, what it does is it deepens our connection to the Lord, our connection to the work that he's doing in this world. It deepens our, our reverence for his holiness and, yes, our gratitude for his love and provision in our life. That's what happens when we pray. That's what prayer accomplishes in our life. And what I want you to notice and if, if, I if I lost you somewhere earlier in this, I want you to come back in on this because this whole sermon is almost kind of driving towards this. What I want you to notice again is how short of a prayer this really is. The ESV, the NIV has, has this translated into four sentences, four sentences. Other translations have it broken up a little bit more. I think the most I saw was six. But what I want you to take away from this, never underestimate the value of a four-sentence prayer. Never underestimate the value of a four-sentence prayer. You have permission to voice a four-sentence prayer. I, I know that might sound weird that hearing short prayers are fine, but in the example that Jesus gives to us, it's four sentences long. I would rather us as a church get more comfortable, get more proficient at voicing four-sentence prayers throughout our day than feeling like we have to learn how to, to pray for, you know, half an hour, an hour, hours on end to be really spiritual. If you can develop that practice, awesome. If, if there are incredible stories of men and women who can be focused and pray for lengths of, for lengths of time. And, look, and we're going to see other prayers of Jesus that are longer. You know, John 17, 26 verses long. So there's, there's times for those. But I just want us to know the significance that when Jesus is teaching his disciples and the church how to pray, it's four sentences long. Four sentences long. So church, take the pressure off yourself. Take the pressure off yourself. Your prayers don't have to be long. They don't have to sound spiritual. They don't have to be said to impress anyone. If it fosters your connection with the Lord, if it fosters your connection with his ongoing work, if it deepens your reverence for his holiness and gratitude for his love and provision in your life, you are on the right track. You're on the right track with it. Hopefully, my, my prayer for, and my, my goal and aim for the sermon is that the recognition that a four-sentence prayer is fine, is, is completely fine, that it would encourage all of us to pray more often during the day. And so, so like, just finding occasions for it, letting different odd things be the trigger for, to, to voice a prayer to the Lord. So it's like when you're walking into a meeting, you know, you're walking into a meeting, dear God, help me be aware of what you are doing in my office. You know, give me wisdom to lead this meeting well. 
and help me love Toby from HR, amen. Right? Like, like that's fine. That's more than fine. That's, that's a good prayer. Maybe you're walking, uh, you know, getting ready for the game, walking in the locker room, getting ready for the game. So it's, God, thank you for my teammates. Give me an opportunity to show them your love this week. Uh, help me remember the game plan and help Bill hold on to the ball. Right? Amen. I mean, that's, that's a good prayer. Maybe you're walking into church on, on a Sunday morning. It's, it's God, you are worthy of worship. Move among your people today. Help me be changed because I've met with you. Amen. Right? Those, those are good like those are strong prayers even I would say because it, it's, it's connecting to the Lord connecting you to his work it's, it's fostering gratitude for his provision for his love and goodness in your life and so those are strong prayers that we can learn to say that we need to know we have permission to say now, now know this it, I, I don't want you to think you have to be formulaic with a three or four sentence prayer like you have to include this and it has to start this way and in this way um, because what Jesus has given to us it, it, it is, it's, just, it's just a pattern that there are parts, bits and pieces of it that we can pull, that we can, that we can use in, in our prayers. And there are times when, when Jesus doesn't follow this, you know, bit by bit, as, bit by bit as we walk through. Different prayers of his take a different focus. And sometimes the same might be true for you. There might be times where your prayers are, are, are more, more focused on worshiping the Lord because you're just celebrating him for his goodness and how you see it in your life. Maybe there are other times where your prayers are more focused on the daily bread aspect of if you've got needs that are just right there in front of you. And so that's at the forefront of your prayers. Still, maybe there are other times where you're praying for the protection and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And those are fine and right and true to pray. Again, he's our father. He wants his children to come to him in sincerity in humility and trust. It's a good pattern it's a good pattern that we have in the text. And so we can, we can have these different prayers that maybe have different focuses on these different aspects, but we can always come back to the Lord's Prayer and, and let this give us a good pattern of what to come back to and how we pray. And so my, my, my hope, again, my hope and my prayer for us is that, is that we wouldn't underestimate the, the value of a four-sentence prayer. Because what would, what would happen, just think, what would happen in your life if you gave yourself permission to voice these small focused prayers all throughout the day? Would you start to develop, strengthen, and cultivate a practice of daily prayer? Would you be more mindful of what God is doing in your work, in your class, or in your family? See, here's the thing, prayers, like all spiritual disciplines, they function like compound interest. Small frequent deposits yield large returns. And so my hope for you and for me is that we would never underestimate the power of a four-sentence prayer. It cultivates our connection to the Lord and his redeeming work, it re a reverence for his holiness, and a gratitude for his love and his provision. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that we can come before you with our prayers and bring our, our, our praise and our petitions before you. God, help us to learn to pray and strengthen our practice of it. And God, help us in our times of prayer come close to you and be grateful to you for all that you have done in our life. God, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.